Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks so much for being with us. We really appreciate it, and we always enjoy being a part of your day. I hope you're having a good day. Coming up on our program, we're going to talk with Craig Willis, Senior Vice President, Global Markets for Growth Energy. We're going to talk about this dispute between the U.S. and Brazil over ethanol tariffs. And also, we're going to get... uh, Some perspective on the negotiations going on between the House and the Senate, between Republicans and Democrats over coronavirus assistance. We'll talk with Andrew Walmsley with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Talk about what Farm Bureau hopes to see in the final package. And this is, you may not know it, but it is National Farmers Market Week. And we're going to talk with the Executive Director of the Farmers Market Coalition a little bit later on in today's program. All that coming up, but right now we'll start it off with Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications and to get the latest on the negotiations uh, over the coronavirus assistance package. Phil, good to talk with you again. Any sense at all that they're getting close? Oh, boy, that's, that's a $64,000 question. Uh, you know, uh, oftentimes you get to the, you get to the negotiations really get serious, you know, you get to a lot of going back and forth. Uh, the earlier, a couple of Treasury Secretary Mnuchin was, uh, and Mark Meadows were talking about they had to have this done by Friday, you know, the basics done by Friday, or they wouldn't be, you know, so they could vote on it next week. Congress is supposed to be out next week into September. Um, but, uh, boy, there's, there, they still seem to be a long way apart on big issues. Not ag, I don't think ag will be that, uh, that difficult to settle um, at all. It's the really big money issues where they're having uh, and issues with the Postal Service. Uh, that's where they seem to be having. Uh, so let's talk about ways apart. Yeah, let's talk about the ag portions of it. Uh, there are some differences, uh, not as big differences as you said, perhaps as the other things that they have to work on, but some differences like how the money is going to be handled by USDA, how much oversight, how much. Uh, you know, direction they're going to give USDA. Uh, do you feel they're close to some compromise on that? Of course, we have the SNAP program, the food program benefits are in the, part of this debate as well. Yeah. Uh, certainly Republicans on the Ag Committee have signaled willingness to compromise on increasing the uh, SNAP benefits uh, as part of the whole broader issue with the unemployment benefits. Uh, so, so I think there's certainly signals, uh, signals from the Republican side that they'll compromise on that. I don't think the the issue of how much flexibility to give to USDA, I don't think that's a huge sticking point. They all want to do the same thing. Uh, it will be, you know, th- that could be resolved fairly easily. There's some other things in there. Uh, Debbie Stabenow, the ranking member, the top Democrat on the Senate Ag Committee, um, she wants uh, uh, some funding for food banks, for processors, for PPP, PPE, that sort of thing. Um, cold storage for food banks. That's something that she continues to push for this week. Uh, that, you know, you could see something like that in there. Uh, these are small, small amounts of money in terms of a bill that's going to be 
somewhere between a trillion and three trillion dollars. So <laughs> we're talking about very small. There's also some uh, push for some grants uh, from the produce industry uh, to help uh, to help that sector beyond what uh, the twenty billion dollars that uh, USDA would get. Also. Um... Each week, we have Richard Fordyce, FSA administrator, on. He was on with us yesterday, kind of giving us an update on how the CFAP money is going out. And each week, I make the comment to him, it seems to be going out slowly. We're at, they're at $6.8 billion now. They've got $16 billion to send out, and it, you know, it's been going mm-hmm. up very slowly week to week. And uh, I understand that USDA has uh, made a statement to you folks at AgriPulse that uh, they would keep any unused funds, money they don't get sent out, and uh, use it uh, at another time. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly what they said. They would put it toward the uh, later, additional 2020 support or even 2021. So uh, sort of acknowledging that they may not reach the $16 billion. As you, as you noted, they only paid out $6.8 billion so far. They're only paying $0.80 cents on the dollar. Uh, in this first payment with the with the promise that if there's enough left and there obviously will be uh that they'll pay the other 20 percent um but you know there's still looks like there's going to be some money left over the chairman of house ag committee uh colin peterson said yesterday that he's urging them to provide some additional uh payments to cattle producers uh as well because of the differential and you know the, the, pay, the payment rates depending on when the cattle are marketed. So that uh, they're getting some uh, push from uh, Peterson to uh, up those payments here in this first round. Are you surprised at the slow pace of these payments? I thought that money would go really quickly, like the PPP money did. Well, there's speculation that uh, you know, I know. Talking to the Cotton uh, National Cotton Council, they think that. Uh, there just wasn't as much. Uh, it may have over uh, USDA may have overestimated the amount of cotton that uh, qualified. Uh, of course, you know, but the payments were limited to basically unpriced uh, stocks on hand in January. And uh, you know, USDA also told me that uh, they think there's also it was it was very complex to, to do this estimate, especially for commodities they weren't used to. Uh, we're used to dealing with the farm programs, and that, you know, that, uh, and they were very conservative in, in estimating how much they'd have to spend. So, I, you know, I probably have, probably have several factors at play, but uh, one big one I've heard from several sources, including the cotton sector, is that uh, USDA may have just overestimated how much they were, uh, how much the volume of uh, commodity that was out there that they would have to uh, make payments on. It kind of makes a, I don't know, a, a strange optic, if you will, in that while uh, agriculture is pushing to get more aid from Congress, the aid that has been approved still isn't, you know, hasn't gone out, so they still haven't used what's there. So it it's just kind of a strange time here. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, certainly, we're talking about another $20 billion. Uh, one thing you're not hearing uh, and I'm not really hearing any more is uh, anybody saying that 20, uh, additional $20 billion is, is, is not enough. Uh, originally, you know, a couple of months ago, there was push for more than that. But uh, I haven't heard much 
from anyone saying that the $20 million is not enough, especially right. a harder argument to make when your payments are going up as, as slowly as they And, of course, we're waiting to see if ethanol will be included in this uh, next round or not. All right, Phil, good to talk with you. Thanks for the update. Okay, thank you. Phil Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. Well, speaking of ethanol, there's a uh, dispute between the U.S. and Brazil over ethanol tariffs. We'll talk with the Senior Vice President, Global Markets for Growth Energy. Get an update on that next here on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. A dispute between the United States and Brazil could impact not only the amount of ethanol we ship into Brazil, but could also impact the amount of Brazilian ethanol coming into the United States. Let's get an update on this and an explanation. Joining us now is Craig Willis, Senior Vice President, Global Markets for Growth Energy. Craig, thanks for joining us. Uh, Kind of explain this for us. Uh, Sometimes this gets a little hard to understand when you get into these uh, trade policies between countries. But just what are we talking about here on on this tariff issue and how does it impact our ethanol industry? Yeah, good morning, Mike. Good morning to all your viewers. So growing up on the farm um, in the 80s, my, my mom told me quite a bit that life wasn't fair, and, and this is a prime example here, life not being fair. So Brazil's our, our number one export destination for ethanol. We had about 22% of our exports last year go to Brazil, on 340 million gallons. On much of those gallons, we pay a 20% uh, duty, or basically it's a tax on our product into that country. So it, it makes makes it so there's less incentive for for the importers to buy it with that that tariff on there and the the not fair part is and and what we're asking for is parity so brazil actually ships a lot of ethanol here brazil is the second largest ethanol producer and consumer of ethanol in the world and they shipped last year over 300 million gallons to the u.s but because of the way the wto rules are they only we can only charge in the United States a 1.9 percent duty, so we're paying or they're you know we have a 1.9 percent duty here and they have a 20 percent duty there. So we've been asking and this has been in place since 2017 and we we've been in play asking the administration you know to try to negotiate a better deal and what our ask is very simple it's just for free trade between the two countries. I know there's pressure, no doubt, uh, in Brazil, uh, probably from their sugarcane farmers, right? Uh, they're probably not happy with the amount of U.S. ethanol coming into the into their country. So there's political pressure to bear on Brazilian leaders as well as the pressure here in the U.S. Yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, the Northeast producers in that country hold a lot of political clout, and typically most of the exports that go to Brazil from the United States go to the northeast part of the country. They, they don't produce enough uh, sugarcane-based ethanol there to supply all the needs in that country. So that's where a lot of our exports go, and, and they've been the squeaky wheel, and they have the political cloud that, that has, frankly, kept it at the 20% rate here. So as you said, this has been going on for a while. We've kind of been in a year of... Uh was kind of hoped to be a year to work things out, but the things really haven't 
been able to be worked out so far. Uh, so now we're approaching what a deadline at the end of this month. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. So this started in 2017, um, in in about this time of the year, it was in August, I believe, and uh, it, it was supposed to originally only last for two years. So we got to the end of last August when it was supposed to expire. And they extended it for another year. Um, they they did raise. We we do get a certain amount of our product goes in tariff free, and they did raise that what we would call by a little bit. Um, but we have the expiration coming up here again August 31st, and so I think you know we have been in constant contact really since 2017 with the administration, whether it's USTR, USDA. Um, or the administration, just to make sure they understand our stance and what our ask is. So those discussions, it's you know, I think there's no doubt um, there's discussions going on back and forth between the two governments on the issue. And there's no avoiding, especially in this election year, the political ramifications of this. this we know that uh, the U.S. and Brazil have uh, been working more closely, a, a, a relationship stronger relationship between President Trump and the Brazilian president. But this is at a time when already U.S. ethanol uh, producers are looking at the administration and questioning some of the moves and and uh, uh, saying we need help and we need support and we don't feel we've been getting it on a number of issues. This is another critical one. Now, this is a, you know, this is a big deal, and I, I don't feel like our ask is that big. I mean – we're just asking for the free market to operate. That, that's really what we want at the end of the day. But no doubt, there's there's um, our our producers here are hurting. Um, you know, we're producing about 10% less ethanol than we were a year ago. Um, so that means we have you know many of our plants and many of our member plants are either shut down or slowed down, which is obviously not ideal for us. So we want to be able to compete on the world market and. Uh, you know, Brazil is is one of the biggies. Like I said, they're no, they're number one. And I think a lot of people probably don't realize that if you if you follow ethanol production, you think, wow, you know, Brazil is what uh, you know is a big eth- ethanol producer. So you wouldn't think we would be selling that much to them. But uh, as you said, they are our number one customer. Though that, that's kind of unusual. Well, they're, so their minimum blend of ethanol in that country, I mean, they're a great leader on this. It's 27%. Um, and then much of the gasoline that's used there is actually it's a hydrous gasoline, so it's almost entirely uh, ethanol. And so the average blend rate in Brazil, whereas in the United States it's basically 10%, in Brazil when you collectively uh, – Combine all you know the hydrous blend that's almost entirely ethanol and the, and the 27 percent. Their blended rate is around 48 percent in that country, so it's a huge number. I mean, we would think about if we could have 48 percent um, ethanol here in the United States. How, how great a deal that'd be for agriculture. So, as we said, end of this month is the deadline. Do you think there's going to be some attempt to come up with another, uh, you know? interim or kick the the can down the road a little bit more do you think this finally comes to a head and gets decided one way or another this time you know i i hate to predict you know i know what our our ask is and it's it's simply parity with with their um with what they receive here at the end of the day um no doubt it's going to be a difficult negotiation but this is a big deal to the u.s government too so 50 percent of all the ag trade 
to Brazil from the United States is ethanol. So we're we're a big part of of the ag trade picture going to that country. Yeah, it's a huge issue and doesn't get as much attention, say, as trade with China, but it, it is a very big issue, especially for our ethanol industry. And mentioning China, Craig, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, the good news is China's been making some purchases, even a big corn purchase recently, but still no ethanol purchases. And I know that's what we've kind of been waiting to see. Any word on that? Any indication they might uh, be buying ethanol or ethanol products anytime soon? You know, we continue to, I can tell you, probably we have as many uh, phone calls and as much advocacy on China as we do Brazil. And uh, it's the number one market that would move the needle fast enough, or Mm -hmm. the fastest for all of our ethanol producers and, frankly, for a lot of your corn farmers out there that are in the audience. Um, You know, it's the second largest gasoline market in the world. But as far as whether they will or won't, um, they, you know, like you said, Mike, they have not bought anything currently. What we continue to say is ethanol, you know, the Chinese are still dramatically short of what they need. Uh, they committed to $36.5 billion in ag commitments, and they're, they're falling way short on that. You know, I think they've been a, roughly a billion and a half a month short on that. And both ethanol and one of our feed products that comes from the ethanol product, process, DDGs, both could add a billion dollars annually in sales to the, to meet help meet those ag commitments. So um, we we'd sure love to see them buy it. I, I can tell you, everybody's watching close. Yeah, that seems to be the missing piece. We've seen even after a big corn purchase, you know, very mild reaction by the markets. But it would seem what would get the market's attention perhaps would be a big ethanol purchase. It would be nothing lights my uh, nothing lights my instant messages up on my phone faster than rumors of a china ethanol purchase it it would be a big deal for sure all right we'll be watching uh, keep watching for that and watching how these negotiations go between the u.s and brazil again not getting nearly as much media attention but it is a critical issue for the ethanol industry and for agriculture so we'll watch it closely craig thank you for being with us and uh, giving us uh, the background and the details on this we appreciate it no problem holler anytime mike thanks all right Take care. Craig Willis, Senior Vice President, Global Markets for Growth Energy. So, again, this uh, tariff issue on ethanol with Brazil is a big one. It not only impacts our number, our sales of ethanol to our number one customer, Brazil, but also impacts uh, the ethanol coming into our country. This could, you know, really open up to us to more of their ethanol coming in. So there's a lot at stake here that that needs to get worked out. And again, at a time when the ethanol industry is looking to Washington and to this administration for help in a lot of areas. Well, all of agriculture and the rest of the country looking at Congress to see what are they going to get worked out or are they going to get anything worked out on another coronavirus assistance package. We'll talk about those negotiations next with Andrew Walmsley with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. 
Well, we continue to watch uh, Congress to see if they can get something worked out on a coronavirus assistance package, another one. Joining us now with some thoughts on that, Andrew Walmsley, Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Andrew, good to have you back with us. Uh, what's your uh, your take on this? Are they, are they close? It uh, doesn't sound like it, but uh, what are you hearing kind of behind the scenes? Are they close at all? Well, it's one of these where it's kind of typical for Washington. You think you make one step forward and then two steps back. Right now, uh, we're running up against what appears to be some self-imposed deadlines for both sides, but particularly the White House, that uh, they're hoping to get to some type of top-line agreement uh, around, you know, how much to to possibly spend and some of these bigger issues around, you know, unemployment, uh, schools, uh, blue states, those type of challenges that you might be picking up in the press of, of hoping to agree to something by tomorrow. Uh, if we can get to that, I think we will be moving pretty quick and might have a deal in place by the end of next week. But uh, if there's not agreement there, uh, it kind of becomes an open-ended question on what happens next. So on the ag portion of it, let's just focus on that. The $20 billion, is that pretty well set, you think? I want to say it's pretty well said. I mean, we're in the middle of, of uh, negotiations. Uh, you know, anything's possible, but it's still uh, there hasn't been an attempt to, to strip that. But uh, I think there's going to be more piece. You've seen Senator Stavenow make several public comments on wanting to see additional nutrition aids, uh, SNAP benefits uh, in there. I don't think the majority of Republicans are against providing just really a question of how long uh, of plussing up for those benefits. But for right now, the $20 billion for ag is still, in, is still in the package. All right. You're cutting in and out on us a little bit, uh, Andrew, so we hope the, the phone connection will hold. We're talking with Andrew Walmsley, Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation, as we continue to look at these uh, negotiations on a coronavirus assistance package. So the other part of this on the ag side, Andrew, has been, do you just – turn $20 billion over to USDA and let them decide where it goes, or should there be more direction, more guidance on how it is used? Where do those negotiations stand? Well, quite frankly, I don't think we've even gotten deep into the, that question. Uh, as, as I alluded to, it's the, it's the high-level piece and, and the desire uh, to get that assistance to USDA. You know, if you compare what the House put out in the HEROES Act, it was much more prescriptive on how the department should use those resources. I can tell you, I think there's a desire uh, by the leadership in the in the Senate, uh, the Republican leadership in particular, not to really limit uh, what the secretary can do with that funding. Uh, I think that's where we kind of fall as, as we go into an election season uh, where Congress is going to be sparse. We're going into the fall. We're continuing to see an uptick in cases. Uh, providing broad flexibility to the secretary uh, probably isn't a bad idea. So if you look at the HEALS Act, the Senate package, it does have a few more parameters. It makes clear that, uh, you know, those that have, have had to depopulate their animals are available for assistance. Uh, there's some new language in there for processors, which brings up a whole other question on who all qualifies for that. Um, but but hopefully with these additional dollars, uh, when you combine that with the plus up and the Commodity Credit Corporation, $14 billion, uh, from the CARES Act and this, uh, the department will have the flexibility needed uh, to address the, the needs for agriculture uh, as, as we go into the fall season. 
It's interesting because your president, Zippy Duvall, told us uh, just the other day what you just said, that that Farm Bureau is more in favor of, of turning it over to USDA and allowing them to make the decisions on how it goes out. But we've heard from other farm groups saying they would like more direction, more guidance for uh, how the money is used. So is this a, a big difference uh, between uh, the in the ag community? I mean, uh, are, are, are we sending mixed messages to Washington on this? Well, I don't know how much we're sending mixed messages. I mean, I think our viewpoint is that, uh, you know, high tide lifts all ships, and uh, it's important to secure that $20 billion. If we're left on the sidelines bickering about how it might be spent, uh, you know, the train that we're trying to attach to uh, could leave the station. And so I think our desire uh, is to is to not hold up or be a be a thorn in the side of a, of a much broader package, get the resources agriculture needs, uh, not necessarily fight out in the front yard, but then head down to USDA and fight it over the kitchen table to make sure uh, that the program's being developed and resources are being spent to those who need it most. Probably, let's use the ethanol example, ethanol industry as an example. Having been left out of CFAP, they would probably like some specific language saying that they would get, uh, you know, some of this assistance in this next round uh, rather than just leave it up to USDA. But if it is left up to USDA, is there any indication that uh, some money would go to the ethanol industry this time? Well, that's a good question, and that is and that is one point we've been clear in our communication to the Hill that, uh, you know, biofuel has been, uh, you know, hit extremely hard from COVID on top of all the other challenges they've faced with small refinery exemptions and the like. Um, you know, the Senate feels that the processor language uh, clearly uh, includes those guys. And one of the comments I received was, uh, you know, the, the secretary is a, is a Senate level confirmed appointee and he should figure out how to do the will of the Senate. But I think we'd all feel a little bit more comfortable uh, that that was clearly delineated just because of the challenges we've seen for biofuel producers. So uh, that is one that, um, you know, from a Farm Bureau perspective, we would like to see clearly in the bill. But if not, um, you know, there's been public comments um, by, by many, uh, and you try to make the case to the to the department that those, the, those, those processors being biofuel producers would be eligible for aid. Obviously, there's still need out there, but it, it's also a, not, a strange optic in that while – Agriculture is asking for this assistance in the next package. Uh, the money that already has been approved in the CFAP program, there's still a lot of it that hasn't even gone out yet. Yeah, and I, I want to consider that uh, from a lack of need. Uh, you know, there, there's a couple of things we, we believe is taking place there, uh, one of which is uh, more outreach is needed to producers, particularly those uh, when you look uh, that were impacted early on, and you know, you, I'm, come, I'm originally from Florida. I'm thinking a lot of my fruit and vegetable guys that were had already had, um, you know, plants in the ground. Uh, that typically went to restaurants or to food uh, service schools, and all that was shut down. Uh, those were immediately impacted, and they're not used to necessarily working with uh, FSA and USDA. So uh, we're pushing for additional outreach uh, from USDA and from our state farm bureaus to make sure producers are aware that they are eligible for funding. We also think USDA might need to provide a little bit more time for sign-up, and that's one of the asks that will be coming here before the end of the week to the department 
is to allow some additional time. You look at, uh, you know, the NOFA process, the notice of funds availability. You know, they had that first announcement a few weeks ago. We're expecting another one within the week. Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty tight timeline for additional commodities that might be added. So I think with some additional outreach and some additional time, uh, we'll, that money will be used because it will definitely be needed. Although USDA already saying that they would look at rolling it over into something else, other assistance, uh, if it doesn't all get used uh, here in this uh, in this uh, period of uh, getting the money out. So we'll see how that plays out. Meanwhile, I want to get back to this timeline, Andrew. If they don't get a deal done by tomorrow, it's just almost inconceivable, even with all the polarization in this country and the bickering between the two parties, it's just hard to imagine that uh, something won't get passed. So we know deadlines don't, don't seem to mean a lot to Congress, although usually the going home deadline is one that usually gets their attention. But uh, they can extend and, and move past deadlines. So uh, do you see any way they don't get something done here? Well, you wouldn't work in Washington if you weren't an optimist. And, and so I, I believe they'll uh, – They'll come to some type of agreement. Um, I think the pressure is too great going into election season uh, with just the benefits that expired, uh, the, the fact that they're going to be back home for a while and want to be campaigning on something that they have achieved. Uh, I don't think it looks too good to come back and say, yeah, well, we threw up our hands. We couldn't agree on, on an unprecedented pandem- uh, pandemic that's facing folks. So I think that pressure will get to them and hopefully – uh, as we as we stretch into August, uh, you know that pressure will build. You know the question will become is, you know, one of the rumors that was picking up yesterday is they might roll the continuing resolution that they've got to got to do it by the end of September to keep the government open, the appropriations process. There's now some talk of combining that with this COVID package, and it'll be interesting to see where that goes uh, because that would basically clear the schedule for them uh, until the lame duck. So. Either they put a big package together and really kick the can down the road on the appropriations process, or uh, maybe they do something smaller and have to come back in the September are, are probably the two options. But my bet's probably uh, the hope that they'll, they'll be able to come together here in the next day or two or over the weekend and, and we can move something along. They always seem to leave themselves with some kind of an out to get by a deadline and, and push it back somehow. Yeah, who would have thought all the uh, procrastination that, that you were scolded about in high school and college, uh, you know, that's just the way Congress works. Yeah, it's almost, uh, you know, part of the job in in Washington, D.C., find a way to delay and kick the can down the road and avoid making uh, the big decisions that have to be made. But uh, maybe they'll get it done. There's a lot of hope still that they can get it done yet this week. Andrew, as always, thank you. We'll talk again after they do make a decision one way or another, and we'll look at what they've come up with. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Andrew Walmsley, Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. So we still wait to see. Can they work out something on this coronavirus assistance package and and what will be in it for agriculture? How will it be structured? A lot to, uh, well, we're still waiting on there. Did you know that this is National Farmers Market Week? That's right. We're going to take a look at the farmers market. It's been a, a booming industry, but what are some of the challenges they face, especially during COVID-19, maybe some of the opportunities during this pandemic? We're going to talk with the executive director of the Farmers Market Coalition next on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. 
Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, this is National Farmers Market Week, and joining us now is the Executive Director of the Farmers Market Coalition, Ben Feldman. Ben, thank you for joining us. Big week uh, to call attention to the the uh, farmers markets across the country, and uh, I think this is a, a, an industry that we've seen grown in recent, really grow in recent years in popularity, but probably facing some challenges during COVID-19. Uh, kind of give us an overview of where the industry stands right now. Yeah, thanks, Mike, and thanks for having me on the show. Um, we're really pleased to be celebrating National Farmers Market Week. This is the 21st year that USDA has declared the first week in August National Farmers Market Week. So, yeah, we're pleased to be recognizing once again all of the essential work that farmers markets do in order to support farmers, consumers, and communities. Um Obviously, as you mentioned, it's been a challenging year, but we're still out here celebrating. Um, we're celebrating the fact that farmers markets are essential businesses, um, whether it's the $2.4 billion that uh, farmers markets help, uh, $2.4 billion in sales for farmers that farmers markets help facilitate, or the $24 million in, in SNAP sales that happen through farmers markets. Farmers markets are absolutely essential to um, our food system. And as we saw, you know, during the early days of the pandemic when there were um, some some supply chain breakdowns in grocery stores, uh, farmers markets filled that gap um, because of the resiliency associated with that short supply chain, farmers directly to consumers. Um, and, you know, that came because farmers market operators and farmers are, are nimble and adaptable and, and made um, incredible changes and accommodations in order to keep customers as safe as possible um, while ensuring that farmers did have that market to sell their product. Um, and, you know, farmers markets, especially um, because they're predominantly outside and um, open air and sunlight, are one of the safest places for people to be shopping for their um, their food these days. So um, that's, you know, what we're here to highlight during National Farmers Market Week. You did also mention the challenges. Um, those changes and adaptations don't come without additional costs. And um, we know that um, our membership of farmers market operators um, are experiencing significant costs. Um, 93% of our members uh, report that they had increased costs this year, while 75% report that they had de- decreased income. And our concern is that um, if, you know, if, we, if farmers markets don't get some of the support that has been afforded to other sectors of the economy by Congress, um, we may we may see um, a number of markets that never reopen, and and that would be a tragedy for the farmers who sell at those markets. So the pandemic has created both uh, challenges and opportunities uh, for farmers markets. But uh, what form of assistance would you be looking for uh, from the government? Yeah, so we're asking for a few different things. Um, for farmers market operators, um, one of the challenges was that many, because of the way they are incorporated, uh, were not eligible for the PPP funds. Um, that's the Paycheck Protection Program, as I'm sure you know. Um, so we're asking Congress to expand eligibility to all types of nonprofit organizations um, in order to ensure that farmers market operators have access to those funds. We're asking for grants in order to help support the work, the really important work that farmers market operators are doing in order to help protect public health. Um, that, as I said, markets engage in a whole range of innovative practices, um, whether it was, you know, um, drive-through farmers markets, online ordering, 
um, or even just basic stuff um, around crowd control. Those all come with additional costs, so grants to market operators for those. And then um, for farmers who sell through farmers markets and other direct marketing channels, um, we're asking for uh, a program that, that really supports those farmers. The, um, the CFAP direct payment program has been um, very limited for farmers who sell through direct marketing channels because um, many of the products that they grow and sell were not part of the program or were not to start. And the prices that farmers are being offered are based on wholesale prices rather than uh, the prices that, that farmers who sell at farmers markets get by selling directly to the public. So um, those are our, our three big things. There's also some expansion of um, online SNAP, which could provide farmers an opportunity to engage in that, which to date they have not been able to, um, as well as an expansion of the uh, Gus Schumacher incentive programs and emergency funding there in order to help fill that gap as well. So a lot of different things going on here. Uh, but overall, we've seen during the pandemic a, a perhaps a stronger move to direct uh, access of, uh, of food, uh, that direct contact between producer and, and consumer. Uh, does this, you think, mean if you can work through these challenges right now that you just mentioned, even greater opportunities in the future for farmers' markets? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as, as you've said, during this pandemic, people are really looking to um, their farmers in their communities, um, taking advantage of those direct supply chains, uh, especially as some of the longer supply chains faltered, um, but also people being, you know, potentially having um, fewer other things that they're doing. We're seeing a lot more people spending more time cooking, learning how to cook, um, and taking the time to go out and shop. So yeah, there's absolutely a renewed interest in food and agriculture, um, shopping the farmer's market, people making their own um, you know, breads and um, making their own pickles and you know all of that stuff that they can do. So you know, people really taking advantage of the farmer's market and really um, that renewed interest in how food is grown and, and taking the time to, to get back in their kitchens. And so that really does afford us some wonderful opportunities long term. Absolutely. All right. So but like about everything else and everyone else uh, dealing with the uh, the immediate short term challenges of COVID-19. Uh, so farmers markets uh, also uh, facing some unique situations and trying to continue to serve uh, the communities. Ben, thanks a lot for calling attention to uh, these issues and letting us know more about National Farmers Market Week. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Happy National Farmers Market Week. All right. Take care. Ben Feldman, Executive Director of the Farmers Market Coalition. So Farmers Markets also seeking uh, assistance uh, from the government as we continue to wait to see what kind of assistance package uh, they come up with. We'll keep you updated on that. We'll have some more market reactions and interesting uh, news out of China as far as their stocks are concerned. We'll take a look at that and what they might be needing to buy moving forward. We'll talk more about that tomorrow on AOA.